This is crime scene investigator Chris G leading you under the police tape and into a crime scene. Join me as we discuss the ever-changing world of forensic science. Put on your PPE, ready your fingerprint brushes and experience the drama of a crime scene. Hello, hello everyone and welcome to my podcast, The Crime Scene Investigator. Firstly, I'd like to apologise for not posting recently. Um, my excuses is that it's been Christmas and New Year's. I've also got a baby, which you might be able to hear in the background during this podcast. And uh, since the baby has moved into the room next door to my office where I record these, it's been a little hard for me to do when uh, she's sleeping, bless her, not wanting to wake her up. As you know, uh, the phrase, never wake a sleeping baby, uh, yeah, I've never really wanted to test that too much. Um, I hope you all had a good Christmas and New Year's, it's no doubt been a different one for you all, um, but I hope you managed to celebrate it sort of safely and um, with whoever you were allowed to celebrate it with this year. Um, and yeah, just a big thank you to everyone who has been following the rules and, and everything. Um, I know it's going to be difficult, but the more rules we follow, the hopefully the sooner that we, we beat this and we're able to go back to some sort of, of normality, really. Um, so this podcast is going to all be all about a scene approach. Now, what do I mean by the phrase scene approach? Um, it's going to be more than just how you walk up to a scene and which foot, foot you put forward first. Um, so I'll try and get you thinking like a crime scene investigator and teach you how we control a scene, analyse the risk and protect ourselves and the scene as well. Um, so first up, uh, I'll list the categories that I'm going to cover today. I'm going to cover uh, a forensic strategy, scene control, a common approach path, risk assessment, PPE, and carrying out the examination itself. Um, but firstly, we'll start with a forensic strategy, because before we head to a scene, this is what we'll kind of devise um, before heading out there. Um, so a forensic strategy is kind of like a shopping list of tasks for us to carry out that uh, may assist the investigation. Uh, a forensic strategy should be open-minded, not one-sided, and not be biased at all. So say, for example, if um, on your shopping list you're to recover some ketchup, uh, <laughs> there might be other brands of ketchup available. So you don't want to just go in there and just take the one thing that is, is on the list. It might be that you have to be a bit open-minded as to the, the brand of ketchup that you, you need to take. Um, trying to use an analogy that wasn't a very good one I'm afraid. Um, on the forensic strategy we're gonna kind of detail the points to prove um, so this is basically what we need to do regarding our examination and, and what is the point of our examination basically so is the the points to prove is it to uh, recover any evidence that may help suggest who was in our scene maybe at the time the, the crime has been has, has happened um, are our points to prove that a crime has actually been committed um, or not so it might be that we've got a suspect arrested and there may not have been a crime committed 
an example of this, uh, uh, probably an obvious example, is a fire scene. It might be that there's been an electrical fault and actually um, the person that we've got arrested uh, didn't have anything to do with the fire itself. Uh, also on our forensic strategy, we're going to uh, list the evidence that uh, we'll need to gather to assist the investigation. So like I said about the shopping list, uh, it may be that we'll go through, say, the list of things that we can do, whether it be, say, a footwear exam, a DNA exam, fingerprints, um, and we'll look at the, say, the different areas of the crime scene. Um, but before we do all this, we're going to want to gather uh, information and intelligence that we know at the time. So we will, before doing a strategy, speak with the officer, say, in charge of the case. Uh, we'll get uh, any, say, witness statements. We'll read through them um, and just get a feel for, for what may have initially happened and then work out a plan to move forward. And this strategy will be written at the time, and of course it's not something that's set in stone, so there'll be like version 1 of the strategy, and then it might be that the situation changes, um, so our strategy will need to perhaps change as well to keep up with the ongoing investigation. So it might be that more intelligence comes to light, that there might be something at the scene that, that we haven't initially looked for. Um, perhaps we think that uh, the suspect has one mobile phone on him and actually he may have two. There may be information that he has two mobile phones so it might be that actually we need to start looking for a, a mobile phone at the scene. Um, so yeah, in a nutshell <laughs> that is what a forensic strategy is. And then it will get sent to the officer in charge of the case, they'll look through it, uh, agree or disagree with any points that we've made, um, and then off we go to the scene with our forensic strategy. Now once we get to the scene, this is where we're going to move on to the uh, category scene control. So how can we help control the scene? Um, now scene control is really really important um, and I'm going to use the analogy of farting in an elevator. <laughs> so it's much easier to identify who's farted in the elevator if there are less of you in it. Uh, if there's only two of you and you didn't feel a little air biscuit drop into your underwear, then you know it's probably going to be the person that stood next to you. If there are loads and loads of people in that elevator, um, say for example there are 15 of you, then it's going to be a little bit more tricky to narrow down who let out this little fart. <laughs> um, if you've got no scene log as well of who's been in and out of the elevator, then you might have no idea as to who's been there legitimately um, and left a little present in there for you all to smell. So that's why a scene log is so important, so you can record who's been in and out of the elevator in this analogy. Um, so yeah, scene control is so, so important because we need to know who's been into the scene, uh, who has also been refused entry. It might be that a member of the public wants to come through, um, they may live there, and then we, we've got a evidence as to why we, we haven't let them back into their homes. But more often than not, we will do whatever we can to ensure that they can they can go back into their homes and um, live somewhat of a normal life while we're working, say, on their doorstep. Um, so scene control is there to also secure the evidence. 
So we'll say put corn tape as you've probably seen, you know, the crime scene, do not cross yellow tape or you've also got the uh, white and blue police tape. Um, this is to prevent people coming in and out of the scene. It could be that you've got, say, a cigarette end, a crucial cigarette end that uh, may have been dropped by our offender. Um, but we want to secure the evidence to limit the people that are walking through the scene so they don't accidentally pick up that cigarette end on their shoe and walk it elsewhere. We might also put a cordon around the scene to prevent the risk to the public. It might be that, say, uh, there's been a crash, there's been a big oil spill and we don't want anyone slipping on it, or there could be, say, traffic lights down and we don't want uh, to run the risk of, say, electrocution or anything like that then that's why we'll put a cordon round in place just to help uh, prevent risk to say public and other personnel. Further reason for a cordon would be to reduce contamination within the scene. You may see us wearing say um, white overalls, our PPE, uh, that is to prevent say our fibres, DNA and we wear gloves to prevent our, us leaving fingerprints and of course we don't want say anyone coming into contact with a crime scene after it's happened um, leaving, say, behind their, their, their skin cells that, say, easily shed off um, or fibres that uh, may have been from your clothing. So, yeah, we'll pop a, a cordon in place to reduce, say, contamination from, say, members of the public or police personnel that aren't wearing all that uh, that fancy PPE <laughs> um, that, thanks to the coronavirus, everyone knows what PPE is now. Um, we also want to present protect the scene from the press as well. Um, the reason for doing this isn't because we you know, want to be secretive all the time uh, or we want to be obstructive to the press, uh, but it's more to uh, respect the family um, and obviously we'll put out a press release uh, as to what's happened, but um, before we release any like key details we may speak with the family beforehand and we wouldn't really want the, the press to be, say, taking pictures of anything that the family would not want them to. However, another reason why we don't want to release too many details to the press initially would be to help provide a fair trial at court. We don't want the uh, press to kind of come up with an idea as to what's happened um, and for everyone to know about it before it goes to court because it may be that the jury then get their kind of own idea of what's happened and they form an opinion before the court trial goes ahead. Our next category is a common approach path or CAP as we sometimes call it. Uh, a common approach path is basically us trying to avoid disturbing evidence that the offender may have left behind and a kind of way that this is easily done is if we walk over the evidence without thoroughly searching it beforehand. So we'll lay out a common approach path which will be more often than not a path pathway that the offenders wouldn't have taken so it's not going to be the logical place. So say for example if we've got a street scene it might be that we walk along the road having searched it first and not the paved area because the offender may have like more likely walked down the paved area and not jaywalked for any of my American listeners. Um, so yeah, like I said, we'll clear the area first, making sure that we're not trampling on any evidence and then it might be that we, we lay out um, markers so we know where to walk up and down. Uh, so we can often utilise the crime scene tape this way 
or we've got like say little um, little fluorescent markers that we can pop down on the on the ground. Uh, we've also got stepping plates. Uh, we play the game The Floor is Lava <laughs> with our stepping plates. So when we're w walking into someone's address, um, if it's a particularly, say, bloody scene or if there's, say, fragile evidence on the floor, like fibre evidence or, um, yeah, footwear marks that uh, we could easily disturb or destroy, we'll pop down stepping plates to make sure we don't tread on, on that. Um, and, yeah, it can be kind of funny when you're in a scene and you've got more space and you need more steps than you have stepping plates so you end up playing you remember that game uh it was like when you were a kid you had to had that problem where you had foxes on one side of the river and like hens on the other side and you had to get the logs and see if you could get the hens across without going onto the logs with the fox it, it kind of feels like a predicament like that where you've got these stepping plates and you've got to think right I need to pick up that stepping plate so I can pop it there then I'll be able to access there but then hold on I need to take a photograph that's on the other side of the room I don't have stepping plates there so what stepping plates can I salvage oh it ends up being quite <laughs> quite a headache and yeah a fun bit of problem solving until you're kind of stranded in the middle of the room without any stepping plates around you calling embarrassingly for assistance our next category is risk assessment and health and safety. I know it's probably not the most exciting thing, but I'll try and make it entertaining. Uh, risk assessment is so important in the crime scene world because you'll never go to the same crime scene twice. Uh, firstly, we need to uh, establish if there are any risks to examiners, police, any other emergency service workers or members of the public as well. Um, we will often have to work with other agencies such as like the UK power networks if there is a risk of say electrocution. Um, it might be that if our scene is out on the street uh, we will need like traffic control so it might be that unfortunately the road might have to be closed so we can work in it safely. Um, if there's been say severe damage to a structure then it might be that we'll need to get a st structural engineer out to assess the risk and put any measures in place to help prevent the building falling on us. Um, there might be an asbestos risk if, say, the fabric of the building has been disturbed, uh, in which case we'd either have to look to get the asbestos removed out of the scene or um, wear very strict PPE guidelines. Um, it might be that we need to get wildlife control in or um, say a dog handler if we've got say a vicious dog at the scene um, and also one of the most common ones is like weather conditions so if we know that uh, it's about to downpour we'll need to get a tent out um, to help prevent the the weather from washing away any key evidence uh, so that kind of in a nutshell is our basic kind of risk assessment that we'll do um, and of course a risk assessment is ever-changing so it's not just you do it once and then it's over you are constantly having to do a risk assessment which we refer to as a dynamic risk assessment it's something that never ceases and of course when you see a hazard you've got to yell out and tell everyone um, next category is PPE and as I said before PPE thanks to the coronavirus everyone knows what it is now uh, PPE stands for personal protective equipment um, and we'll wear PPE relevant to the crime. So I'm not going to turn up to, say, someone's burglary in a full scene suit, mask, gloves. Uh, well, in this case at the moment, I will wear a mask into someone's house because of uh, COVID-19. Um, 
However, I'm not going to go in my complete bunny suit because that would sure get the neighbours talking and twitching at the curtains. Uh, however, I'm going to wear all that um, at a very severe scene because then I might run the risk of disturbing any real fragile evidence and leaving behind uh, fragile evidence from myself that has nothing to do with the case. Um, PPE can often change like regarding the crime as well if I've got say a acid attack or if I'm in a burnt out building I'm gonna have to wear a hard hat with acid attacks I'm gonna wear some goggles and some special kind of gloves that go up all the way to the elbow um, and it's not just say PPE on us that we're going to need to do we're going to need to uh, clean down our equipment before we go in there to ensure that we're not say cross-contaminating anything uh, indirectly that may be on our equipment and we're going to um, provide a sterile working area so we have like uh, ground sheets they're like plastic sheets that we pop down that we can work on um, that are brand new ground sheets each time they get thrown away per examination um, and yeah, it just creates a nice little working area for us and we know that uh, nothing has come into contact with that sheet beforehand. And once we've done all that, we've done our risk assessment, we've got our PPE on, we've got our forensic strategy, we've got our common approach path that we've done, we can then crack on with the examination itself. So we'll do a initial walkthrough first, just get a feel for the scene, see what's there um, and yeah just know what we're dealing with really um, and after the initial walkthrough we'll do our recording and that'll be with photography maybe even video or 360 photography now what I mean by 360 photography it's kind of like Google Maps if you um, if you know like where you put down the little man on Google Maps and then you can spin around and kind of manipulate where you want to look uh, we can do this at a crime scene as well so we put our camera in the middle of the room, uh, we take four shots with a fisheye lens that can be stitched together and create this kind of virtual crime scene that you can uh, move yourself about in, which um, is just fantastic for like court demonstration basically. Rather than flicking between pictures, you, um, you can really get a feel for what the scene is like. Um, and our examination we may need some additional light sources so if it's particularly dark just very bog standard one we're going to pop a flash on our camera uh, it may be that we need say ultraviolet lights to look for say either bodily fluids or cleaned up blood um, and just our normal say handheld torches for our close-up kind of observational work and that in a nutshell is how we would approach a scene quite a lot to think about rather than just rocking up and uh, winging it. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's a lot to think about. Um, so let's put this into practice, shall we? You've just learned how a crime scene investigator approaches a scene, so I want you to do it for yourself now. So your crime scene is burnt toast in your kitchen, <laughs> and you're in charge of recovering the toast and making sure it finds safe passage to the bin. <laughs> we also want to find out who did it, so let's get to work. So everyone picture yourself in your kitchen, you know your kitchen, you know where the toaster is if you've got one, uh, you might be fancy and fry your bread for, for all I know, but um, let's just imagine you've got a toaster in your kitchen. So the first thing you'll need to do is establish what's happened, when and where, the kind of W kind of questions. In this case, 
we've been able to find out information from the toast neighbour, Mr. Croissant. <laughs> and Mr. Croissant last saw the uh, item of toast in the cupboard early this morning, which means that the piece of toast has been burnt later this morning. It has also been found that the toaster has been suspiciously turned up to level 10 of toastiness. The toast was due to meet a crowd of baked beans, however it never showed up to the meeting. <laughs> so there's our initial information that we've been able to gather. So something has happened in the early mornings um, and the toaster has been turned up to the level 10. Hmm. Who is putting the toaster up that, that high? So let's put together a forensic strategy. We need to recover evidence to determine who committed the crime and a strategy will help cover all the points uh, we need to uh, fulfill in our examination. So a bullet point of the tasks we're going to carry out are as follows. We're going to do general photography of the address um, to show how someone might enter the kitchen and close-up photography of any injuries to the toast. Have the crusts been removed in an act of rage? We'll soon find out. Recover any fragile evidence from the toaster, such as fibres caught in the opening. We're going to sample the heat dials, taking swabs of DNA and treating with fingerprint powders. And then finally we're going to recover the toast, packaging it well to avoid fra fragile evidence being lost. So with this strategy and with discussions uh, with the officers involved, we head to the scene, travelling downstairs and following the smell of burning. <laughs> We, you can tell I'm getting into this, can't you? We arrive, <laughs> when we arrive, we call on the scene guard uh, to man the door at the kitchen. We also get the windows scene guarded as they have been opened. Have they been opened to climb through or ventilate the scene? Who knows? But we're going to scene guard them anyway, just in case. Uh, the front garden is taped off with crime scene tape to help prote protect any potential footwear marks in the flower bed thinking that someone may have escaped out the window, but we're just doing this as a precaution for now. Uh, before entering, we put on our PPE, in this case, oven gloves and an apron. Now with the scene well guarded and a scene log in place, we are able to approach the scene and establish a common approach path. We're not gonna take the logical route um, across the kitchen, but we're gonna keep to the sides, go around the dog bowls, past the bin, and then towards the toaster. We lay out our stepping plates as we go, treating the floor as lava and to protect any footwear marks and breadcrumbs that may have been scattered across the floor. We assess the risks and we turn off the toaster at the wall to cut out the electricity before we commence our examination. Now we begin our photography, taking images from the four corners of the room, then long, medium and close-up shots of any key findings. Now we take uh, shots of the four corners of the room so we get a good idea of the general layout of the entire room. Um, before moving the toast now, we recover fibres from the edges of the toaster. Using clear sticky tape, we pick up and dab down uh, any fibres that are on the edges of the toaster and then we place this tape onto a clear plastic sheet which gets sealed into an evidence bag. Now the dial has clearly been tampered with. It's been set to full power. I mean, who would do such a thing? We're dealing with a real sinister chef here. We take wet and dry swabs from the dial, making sure we swab just the edges, as we'll need to examine the flat surfaces on the dial for fingerprints. We use a wet swab first to moisten the particles, 
Uh, in this case, it's likely going to be skin cells that have been deposited by the offender. And then once the wet swab has been completed, we go over the same area with the dry swab, uh, which helps to capture any material loosened but not collected by the wet swab. Now the toast is ready to be moved out of the toaster so we can examine it further. The toast has clearly been in for too long and injury photographs are taken, placing a ruler next to the burning so the extent of the injury can be documented. The toast is then placed into a sandwich bag and taken to the bin. <laughs> Once we finished, we signed out of the scene and we let the officer in charge know of our findings. Uh, we advised them of the evidence we've recovered and our observations. Now the evidence we have uh, from the crime scene, our crime scene investigation and all the intel work that the officers have been doing behind the scenes, we've got overwhelming evidence against our partner who we live with and they eventually cough to the crime. Maybe they'll think twice knowing they're living with an expert in toast crime investigation. <laughs> so there you have it. I've tried to uh, put together a little scenario where you would um, be able to think for yourself on an everyday task that you may do and how you could approach this if it were a crime scene. Um, I hope this has given you a insight into what we do, our thought process before heading to a crime scene, and maybe it's inspired you to become a crime scene investigator yourself. Uh, so yeah, put this into practice next time someone burns the toast. If I see two people dressed as police officers, say, outside your kitchen, I'll think, oh, these people have clearly been listening to my podcast. Um, but yeah, I hope that's been really interesting. And once again, sorry that I haven't uh, spoken to you uh, sooner. I tried to do these every two weeks, uh, but what with work, a baby, and other projects that I've been doing for work, it's been a little bit tricky too. But I'll try and do them, say, once a month at least, uh, so I can talk to you all um, and keep you up to date with the crime scene world that now involves toast. <laughs> anyway, stay safe, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, do subscribe to my social media at CSI Chris G, surname G double E. And uh, yeah, let us know of any comments that you have. Uh, that would be awesome. Thank you ever so much, everyone. See you for now. Bye. This is crime scene investigator Chris G signing off. Thank you for joining me, and I hope you enjoyed listening. Be sure to subscribe and follow my social media at CSI Chris G. Until next time, stay safe out there and I'll see you at the next crime scene.